Hello and welcome to T-Peds. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. T-Peds is the show where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it and then we talk about it. This episode we're over on Lindsay's collection and Lindsay, what did you pick out for us? I chose John Hughes's 1989 Uncle Buck. And boy, is this a John Hughes movie. Written, produced, directed by... And he he absolutely loved John Candy. He had him in a lot of his films. Probably more than any other actor. That's true. This is actually the 20th episode of Tapeheads. Is this a milestone we can celebrate? Or do we have to wait until 25 or 50? I don't know. It's How does that hard. work? It's kind of hard to decide what's a, what a milestone is that matters. When do we watch Tapeheads? The Tapeheads with John Cusack and Tim Robbins. At one year? Well, do year marks matter? I'm saying, I'm, I'm thinking our 100th episode. Okay, I could go with 100. It, that's many years from now. I mean, granted, we'll have a lot of John <laughs> Cusack movies you could watch before that. Maybe even one this summer. Who knows? Sean, is this the only VHS we've had so far that has had trailers after the film and not before? I think there was one well, other, right? the Three Musketeers had three trailers at the beginning, and then it told you to check out more after the movie. There we go. And this one promises uh, multiple trailers after the movie and gives us exactly one. Only one, and it's for a movie that's older than this one. Yeah, it's all messed up. Another John Hughes movie with John Candy in it, The Great Outdoors. The Great Outdoors is a wonderful film. It pits um, John Candy and his family, who are out in the wilderness, against sleazy Dan Aykroyd and his weird family. And a live bear mauls real people. Was Uncle Buck a special movie to you growing up? Why'd why'd you pick this movie? This was a movie that had a lot of significance to me because my dad and I didn't have a lot of overlap in movie taste, although I did love Jackie Chan movies and he he was just obsessed with all kinds of martial arts and action movies. So he had a little overlap there, but for more kind of family or even children-oriented movies, the main ones that we would watch together and that we bonded over were Uncle Buck and Matilda. Matilda surprises me. I get Uncle Buck. This is a dad <laughs> movie all the way. John Candy's character in this is just so charming while also being like such a slob and occasionally <laughs> kind of a creep, like threatening to murder people. He gets but a in a very charming way. He does a lot of threatening over the entire course of the movie. Yeah, there's some pretty dark stuff in this movie that we'll get to. There's a lot of stuff that went over my head entirely and I haven't seen it in years. So I, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, dear God, that's what they meant. So what is this movie for the uninitiated? What is Uncle Buck? We know it's John Hughes. We know mm-hmm. it's uh, 1989. Yes, 1989, which is an excellent, excellent year for movies. License to Kill came out in 1989. <laughs> the best Bond film ever made. Of course. This is a movie about a family, although watching it as an adult, I don't know how much of a family movie it is. Essentially, it features this family that's not really getting along. There's a lot of friction. The mother of this kind of central nuclear family, her father has a heart attack. In the middle of the night, she and her husband have to plan to go off 
and see her father and make sure he's okay and help take care of him. They need someone to watch the kids and they're desperate for anybody but no one's available and so they end up having to turn to Uncle Buck which they don't really want to do and he has to come in and sort of save the day but he doesn't really know how it's a man this is a man that's been an eternal bachelor and doesn't know how to hold a job or really even get by and now he's watching out for someone's kids he uses a vacuum cleaner to clean up all the crumbs off his shirt when he's on the <laughs> couch eating frosted flakes out of the box it's a beautiful detail you know, there's so many parallels to other movies that we've had on the show. It was kind of crazy how many connections we found. He's cooking for the, for the, well, we should talk about these kids before anything else. Well, of course, because one of them is Macaulay Culkin. Yes, the youngest, he's Miles. The, he's the middle child. The middle child, Miles. Also of note is uh, Maisie, um, the youngest, played by Gabby Hoffman, who's mm -hmm. just everywhere these days. And then the rebellious teenage daughter. Tia, yes. She is played by Jean Louisa Kelly, who I actually don't know from anything else. Yeah, I don't either. Gabby Hoffman, the youngest child, she's done really well. She, She's a major child actor. She was in Field of Dreams. She was in Sleepless in Seattle. She was kind of the go-to kid actor yeah, well, for everything was, in the late 80s and early darling, 90s. She was though. Man without a face. Aww. <laughs> Oh, Mel Gibson, how you've turned. Among many, many parallels to uh, other films we've had on the show, there's sort of a man-of-the-house-style breakfast scene. <laughs> yes. Where John Candy, well, Uncle Buck, is really trying to win the approval of these kids, so he's making this messy, disgusting-looking breakfast, and... Oh, yeah, this, now this is the first morning that he's been there. He kind of showed up in the night. Uh, showed up at the wrong house. At the wrong house. He was shouting at people. Shouting in the not street. His <laughs> but, yeah, so he he's kind of like thinking, man, you know, I'm going to get these kids through their stomachs. You have Miles come in and he does his JTT thing and he's just kind of disapproving because this isn't our routine. You're and, making a mess. And Macaulay Culkin was very much a precursor to JTT. <laughs> a little more know. charming. Yeah, I guess he had that little. A man lot more thing talented. Aww. <laughs> Poor JTT. Sorry, JTT, if you're listening. Um, additionally, going way back to episode one, Surf Ninjas, I mm -hmm. guess it's a, appropriate on episode 20 we're going back. Tone Loke, that's right, it's oh, pronounced, yeah. I've been saying it Tone Lock all these years, but friend of the show Jack Patino steered me straight on that one, thank you Jack. Tone Loke does the theme song for Uncle Buck, well, unofficial theme song, but... It's more like Uncle Buck's song, you Yeah, know? he's... he's the song of his soul. Yeah, he's reappropriated Wild Thing by Tone Loke, and it is used to hilarious effect. It was fun watching this, too, because I got to go through and see some of the those most memorable scenes and piece them together with the actual arc of the movie, but I will ne I've never forgotten, and we used to quote this in my house when I was a kid, was the discussion when the parents are trying to figure out who's going to watch the kids. They're mentioning one of the neighbors, and Macaulay Culkin is saying, no way, their dog's a ball sniffer. <laughs> and then and his mom's saying, don't say that word. Just don't say that. And then he keeps going, what's the other word for balls? What's the other word for balls? And he's walking down the hallway and he goes, nuts! <laughs> and 
was yeah, like, I was really <laughs> impressed with Macaulay Culkin's profanity in this. You know, you pointed out something about Macaulay Culkin that I could never quite put my finger on, and that's that the key to his cuteness is really that he's just this little man. He's an adorable little adult. Like, he's so adult in everything he says. Yeah. There's the, that scene where Macaulay Culkin is interrogating uh, Uncle Buck, and there's this back and forth, back and forth. To make sure he's really his uncle and really is supposed to be there. Yeah, and it's it's sort of like a background check that we're witnessing in real time. Like, he wants to know about where he works, where he lives. They're Who all, he's with? Like, even relationship and personal questions. They're all very adult questions. It's just rapid fire. There's another really cute scene with him washing dishes, too, and he's has to answer the phone, and he's so annoyed because he's already busy doing uh, doing the housework. He's a little man. Interestingly, there's a scene in this film where uh, Macaulay Culkin is guarding the front door, and he <laughs> peers through the mail slot, and believe it or not, this might be an apocryphal story, we don't really know, John Hughes on the set got the idea for Home Alone when he saw this scene play out and he yeah. saw how, you know, Macaulay Culkin handled himself when he was the man of the house. Yeah, and it, it is really kind of a Home Alone sort of scene because he's trying to protect the house and not let any strangers in. It's really cute, but Home Alone only came out to, what, it, it was a it year was the later. next year, yeah. The very next year. Um, and it's funny because Macaulay Culkin even hallucinates that there's all these robbers outside <laughs> briefly. It's a really, like, oddly on-the-nose Home Alone thing. Yeah. And you have to remind yourself that this is a year before that movie. We can't only talk about Macaulay Culkin. He did have an older sister who you had a strong opinion about. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's not so much her. I think the actress did... Uh, the best she could with this but Tia the teenage daughter I just don't really like this trope in movies particularly 80s and 90s movies where they have a teenage character and their whole idea of presenting particularly teenage girls the movie presents teenagers as just being awful and at just war like, with their parents at war just like no redeemable qualities whatsoever until like the last five minutes of the movie when it's supposedly some breakthrough and she smiles and hugs her mom. It's like, no, that's that's baseline stuff. Yeah. And this is this is at the end of the movie. At the beginning of the movie, she essentially what is it, accuses her mother of having caused their grandfather's heart attack. Yeah, she's real she's a real bitch throughout the entire <laughs> movie. And like she doesn't even give Uncle Buck a chance. And Again, I think it's just the way that she's written that really bothers me. I think that the actress is great. Like, she, she kind of has that thing where she's yeah. always squinting her eyes at people. I, but what's so weird to me about that, especially given that it's John Hughes, who had seems to have total creative run of this, his movies are so celebrated for humanizing teenagers. Like, particularly Breakfast Club, um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, these are all movies that really make likable yeah. teenage characters. But, I mean, you do have to give credit to her character development over the course of the film. They do have her change, and you can kind of understand how that's happening and you can understand some of her antagonism toward Uncle Buck because he's this uncle that she's only heard bad things about her mom clearly doesn't like him she's folded him out of their wedding photo yeah that's really sad uh, and then you and then he's spending a ton of time messing with her relationship with the handsome 
bug. Who turns out to be a date rapist, so he yeah, was kind of right on the money on that. Oh, yeah. He was totally right on the money. But she doesn't know. She's a teen, and he's handsome, and he wears the weird hats that teens are supposed to wear. You know, it's hard for me to really talk about character arcs in this movie because it's just very... For better or worse, it's a very episodic movie. It is, yeah. Like, it's kind of just one funny scene of Uncle Buck getting up to some shenanigans <laughs> after another, which is great. Like, there's a lot of running gags in the movie that are revisited. Like, he drives this real clunker. It's a uh, 77 Mercury Marquis that uh, backfires loudly. He can exactly pinpoint when it's going to go... <laughs> And uh, people will duck and take cover whenever the uh, tailpipe backfires. Yeah. I and think he single-handedly caused global warming. Yeah, that, that car is just like the mother of all clunkers in yeah. 80s movies. Spewing out a blinding level of smoke. There's also just running gags of him, like we said, uh, harassing... Tia's boyfriend Bug threatening to murder him ultimately kidnapping him and putting him in the trunk of his car with no real repercussions. Wasn't he? And then he told this kind of weird meandering story about how he had a hatchet that could be used to circumcise a man. (laughs) And then he shows him the hatchet which shows that no he probably wasn't kidding. The end of the movie when Bug is attempting date rape he takes a a power drill out to threaten him with Yeah, well, he uses the power drill to take down a door, and it's such a shot in the dark. Like, he's found (laughs) out that there's this party that Tia has run off to. He just happened to be at a stoplight next to a couple of parents that knew where the party was. One of those parties where just hundreds of people are jammed into a suburban home, and when he drills down that door, how does he know that Bug is in there? Mm -hmm. And it turns out that Tia is not with him. Mm-hmm. But uh, he still kidnaps him nonetheless and threatens him with that power drill. Kidnaps him, duct tapes his hands together and puts duct tape over his mouth and throws him in the trunk of his car. We're talking, this is an extreme man. Yeah. But he's yet he's so lovable. There's a lot of underlying violence in this movie that is really odd i don't remember it being there it's so crazy well john candy is really just a big bear you know you want to give him a hug he might maul you you know he he could do real damage to you but you just love him all the same yeah um i think of his character in Spaceballs, the the mog (laughs) or better yet the great outdoors when he was cast opposite a real bear yeah (laughs) and really held his own in his scenes with that bear oh of course But yeah, a lot of grown-up humor in this PG-rated, supposedly family film. Yeah. So John Candy's been having some trouble with a washing machine. Or is it the dryer? Probably the dryer. It is the dryer. Because he's using the microwave to to dry socks. Yeah. (laughs) Which is kind of (laughs) charming. But anyway, he's having problems with the dryer, and he's trying to get it to work, and he's threatening it and banging at it and doing all this stuff. And the neighbor lady comes over, and she doesn't know that he's watching the kids. And so she's hearing all this violence through the door and takes out pepper spray and is afraid. And all of my life, because I haven't seen this, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's been maybe 16 years since I've seen this movie. I think it was about nine or ten but i always understood this scene as a scene where she thought he was killing someone and we since realized as we watched it the other day that she actually thinks he's raping her friend 
And it, it was very uncomfortable watching it, having thought it was something else all these years. As is the way for Uncle Buck, you, you're brought out of the darkness right away to something really charming, like making giant pancakes for Macaulay Aww. Culkin's birthday. Another uh, iconic scene of this movie. I know, he's using a snow shovel to actually flip the pancakes. Incredible, and apparently you can actually make pancakes that large, we learned online. But yeah, he basically presents Macaulay Culkin with a giant breakfast. Manhole cover sized pancakes. Those were larger than manhole covers. Which led into a scene with an alcoholic clown. Yeah, we go right back into the darkness. <laughs> right back to the darkness. Which is another scene that I always remembered for having seen on uh, on the Disney Channel. And they say shit in it. And I remember... <laughs> I always remember in the Disney Channel they dubbed it. And I knew, because we had the VHS, I knew it was a bad word. And on Disney, they said shoot instead. Doesn't Macaulay Culkin have some of that too, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. They actually dubbed over it to make it nice and clean for all the kitties. But I knew better. You know, there's a lot of predators in this world in general. There I mean, really are. Bug is a date rapist. The town clown is a, a drunk an alcoholic, he shows up to entertain children with booze on his breath. What does it matter? Stand up. <laughs> and there's this guy with a hair lip at the bowling alley. Oh, God. Swiveling a toothpick around in his mouth and hitting on the underage Tia. That's he's, a really uncomfortable scene, too. It's such a painful scene, too, because he's turning this toothpick around with his tongue because I guess he thinks it's real sexy and then accidentally shuts his mouth over it so that end of it digs into the roof of his mouth that uh boyfriend bug with his beret is looking pretty <laughs> good after the hair-lipped guy he doesn't seem so bad he's just insidiously douchey yeah you know i i think it's really just kind of a movie of great scenes that yeah. never quite comes together as a complete whole for me mm-hmm. another great scene and uh we get a little tone loke for this scene is <laughs> wait, is it Maisie that's having disciplinary problems or is it yeah yeah when he uh shows up at this elementary school smoking a cigar in the, the school hallway in the school hallway to the tune of uh tone loke's wild thing yeah and he has this realization like oh i'm not supposed to be smoking here so he runs into the children's bathroom he gets down on his knees so he can use the tiny urinal all well detective tone loke uh, serenades us that also led into what I've always thought of as a famous scene, because I've heard people actually reference it um, on different occasions. The like, vice principal? Yeah, with the vice principal where she has this wart on her face and he can't talk to her without accidentally having these Freudian slips where he's mentioning growths and things on the face. Yeah, you know, the Austin Powers ripped that off wholesale oh, in really? the third one. and. Uh, the Austin Powers sequels were kind of notable for pretty much just rehashing all of the gags from the first movie with a couple new ones. And by the time uh, Goldmember came out, the third one, it was like that was the one new joke of that movie was the <laughs> mole thing. And it, it just ripped off from Uncle Buck. Well, it's just like Man of the House took that breakfast scene. Yeah. Everybody wanted to steal from Uncle Buck. Yeah. Although, uh... 
Macaulay Culkin didn't bash John Candy for not throwing away the organic materials into the correct bin. That's true, that's true. You know, Lindsay, you call Uncle Buck a bachelor, but he is dating one Shanice for many, many years. He just can't commit. No, he can't commit. And early in the movie, we see them talking in, what is it, a diner, a bar? I think it's a bar. Yeah, something like that. It's one of those bar restaurants that has a martini glass and their neon sign outside. (laughs) So you know it's a dive. Yeah. But they're having this really serious discussion because she's saying, you're a loser and you won't. You won't marry me. I want to have kids. You don't seem to want to have kids. You can't hold a job. I'm trying to give you a job and you won't even show up for it. And so he makes the promise, you know what? I'll be there tomorrow. I will be at work. You don't even have to worry about it. And, of course, in the middle of the night, he gets the call to go save his young nieces and nephew. You just can't count on him, just like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Jingle All the Way. Yeah. And he gives alcohol to animals, just like Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, in Jingle All the Way. He was giving the dog beer while he, during that scene where he's vacuuming cornflakes off his shirt, <laughs> so you really know he's got it together. Yeah. But Shanice is interesting because she kind of, she adds a little bit of comedic element at the end with the family, but she kind of really ratchets up the emotion for Buck because he has even more on the line when he's trying to work things out with these kids. She almost seems kind of tacked onto the story in some ways. Like yeah. they needed more stakes for for Buck. Like they need he needed someone in his life. He couldn't just be a complete deadbeat. Yeah, I like think I so. like her character. She's very sympathetic, but it's kind of a whole other movie that's going on. Mm-hmm. Is his relationship with Shanice is on the rocks and. Tia answers the phone one time and gets her revenge by saying that he's having an affair, meddling with his life, as, you know, teens do. And what was I found kind of funny about that was your reaction was to go, Ah, oh, Tia's horrible. She's the worst person. But at the same time... This is after he threatened her boyfriend with a hatchet and talked about circumcision. Yeah, but it's John Candy. You see him <laughs> let it slide. So I feel like they were on even playing field, just a little bit. I, d- I don't know. Maybe it's just because uh, I feel like this adult relationship has more weight to it than this fly-by-night thing she has yeah. with Bug. But maybe that's just because I'm older and, you know, I'm, I'm part of the establishment now. <laughs> I don't understand how these cool teens think. Somehow this kind of connected me to the idea of, back on Big, we talked about scenes that wouldn't happen now. Mm-hmm. And we had one in this one in which our our young Gabby Hoffman was trying to persuade Buck to sleep with her. She couldn't sleep without having him in bed with her. It's a darling scene, but I remember I turned to you and I asked, do you think that people would make this now or are the connotations a little weird yeah people are very careful about that those sort of signifiers in movies now i feel like i think there's just been so many high profile cases of child abuse i just can't imagine that being in a children's movie now and it's kind of sad because it's kind of a cute scene it's just really cute because it kind of shows how far he's willing to go to bond with these kids because they end up cutting to them 
all in the parents' bed. You have John Candy on the edge and Gabby Hoffman and Macaulay Culkin taking up most of it and even the dogs taking up all the foot of the bed and he keeps rolling off because he doesn't have enough space and he doesn't get any sleep. Uh, I, I say that this movie is a collection of scenes, but I guess it does have an arc in the sense that both Buck and Tia kind of learn to be less self-absorbed. I yeah, mean, they both experience a lot of character development. I mean, Buck has that hot tip on the pony races <laughs> that that he decides not to take so he can go look for Tia and, and save her from Bug. Well, as it turns out, she wasn't in danger from Bug, but that didn't well. stop him from uh, wrapping him up with duct tape and putting him in the trunk. Well, that's because Bug was about to take advantage of another girl. Plus, he probably figured that Bug was an asshole when he broke up with her because she wouldn't have sex with him. Cause he's the yeah, best. I think Uncle Buck is in the right there. I just don't think that the law would see it the same way. <laughs> I just, you, you reacted so strongly when he was in the trunk. You were just like, this couldn't happen. He'd go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking out for Uncle Buck here. But also what cracked me up about that scene is, okay, so Uncle Buck <laughs> goes to the party looking for Tia. He finds Bug with another woman. His reaction is to kidnap Bug, pull him out of this party, put him in the trunk, then drive around for who knows how long until he finally finds Tia. He picks her up, they kind of bond, and they talk about things. And then he's kind of like, hey... Let me show you something. And he pulls over. I think she, this is in the high school parking lot. Uh, I'm not sure. He shows Tia that what he's done. This extreme <laughs> crazy thing that he's done. And Tia just kind of laughs it off. Like, oh, Uncle Buck. And then they... Uh, and then maniacally threatens him with a power drill, just like he did. And then, like... <laughs> Kick him out of the car, drive off, and then drive in reverse, kind of threatening to run him over. And then they... Well, he... that's because he was, uh, he pretended to apologize and then started saying a bunch of shit, right? Regardless of what his motivations were. Again, I'm on Uncle Buck's side here. I think Bug's a little twerp and got what he deserved. But uh, it's just hilarious to me that Tia would be okay with this and Uncle Buck would be... Whiffing golf balls at this kid. Yeah, that that that's one of the scenes I always remember too. My dad was big on golfing, and we'd go to the golf range and stuff. I could see your dad relating to Uncle Buck. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I haven't been threatened with a hatchet yet. Aww, <laughs> that wouldn't happen. All that violence is what brought Tia and Uncle Buck together finally, and it's what really convinced her to love again. And that's what brings her back to her mama, too. Yeah, Uncle Buck is a, is a magical, magical man. Using violence to bring people together. There was a short-lived TV spin-off of this show. <laughs> Very short-lived. That I really know nothing about, but it had 18 whole episodes, which seems like a lot. I guess that a... is a lot. How many of them were made and how many were planned out? IMDb wasn't clear. Um, 18 were at least shot, and I wow. assume aired. I never had heard about that. I didn't know it existed. Neither had I heard that there was a Ferris Bueller TV show. I at mean, the it... same time, not uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and it's it's crazy to me that there are all these John Hughes spinoffs that just I've never heard of. Had none of the same cast as far as I know. And I think a, a, you were saying even more recently there was another attempt to bring Uncle Buck to the small screen. According to Wikipedia, there 
was a plan, or maybe currently is a plan, for an Uncle Buck TV show on ABC. Which is so odd to me because it's a really simple premise, the the fact that there's this slob of a babysitter. Does it really need to carry the Uncle Buck brand? Like, does that really do much for it? I have no idea. This film works so well within itself, but I don't see it working as a TV show. The original series is a year after, so it wouldn't suffer from this, but... I feel like a modern take of this would be really bad because this is such a time capsule. There's so many off-color things that this movie's able to pull off and are so charming that you just couldn't really do today. And also, Tone Loke must be getting up there. And you'd have to have him involved. Because he's the iconic part of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Lindsay, after dusting off your copy of Uncle Buck giving it another watch how do you feel about it do you buy it do you rent it do you tape over it i buy it definitely as many scenes as there were that surprised me and didn't match what i had remembered of the film i still have such a soft spot for john candy and it's just really sweet gabby hoffman macaulay culkin are really great characters i think just overall it still wins me over But I don't know if that's a nostalgia talking. Well, I'm glad it holds up for you. I'm going to say rent it. It's not my favorite John Hughes movie. It's not my least favorite. It's somewhere in the middle for me. There's uh, some really memorable scenes in this. I love me some John Candy. But uh, I did have some reservations with it, too. Um, Understandable. Mainly the character of Tia, and also a character we didn't mention, uh, Laurie Metcalf's character, the neighbor. Oh, who will, that's, she's the one who comes in during the uh, laundry rape scene. Yes, yes. Um, She kind of bugged me a little bit, even though I like Laurie Metcalf. Like, there are just some some strange character things uh, for me that that kind of stopped me from enjoying it as much. And just the the number of creeps in this world (laughs) felt kind of uh, mean-spirited to me. Yeah, this isn't a perfect movie. This is no Die Hard. Yeah, it's no Die Hard. But it's it's wonderful to me. So, Sean, what are you doing next episode? Well, baseball season is upon us once again. (laughs) It's an even year, which means the San Francisco Giants will be winning another World Series. Don't worry, I knocked on wood. That's real wood. That's real wood. So I feel like it's time to dust off one of my favorite underdog sports movies. Uh, Also from 1989, Major League, starring Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger, Wesley Snipes, Mm -hmm. a whole fun cast of uh, misfits on the Cleveland Indians. It's a really fun movie. Uh, For anyone who hasn't seen Major League, I strongly suggest you give it a watch before our next episode. Um, Even if you're not a big sports fan, it's it's a lot of fun and really my favorite baseball movie. Which is saying quite a bit because there's some good ones out there, but it's my personal favorite. I'd like to thank one William Price for use of his electrifying song mandatory groove whenever i stray from my normal thing i always get stilted stilted. um (laughs) you can check out more of will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon you can learn more about our podcast and find our other episodes by looking us up at tapeheadspodcast.com or you can go to itunes and rate and review us we'd love to hear from you we also have an email tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com 
That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. Do, do.